Well, hey everybody, and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today, we are in season three, episode seven. We've got another great episode ahead, continuing our conversation with Rob Shaver, our discipleship minister, about this series that we are in called More Power. So, as we begin, my name is Ben Patterson, joined by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, good to be here this morning. How are you doing, Ben? I know you uh, just got back from a long weekend trip with our, our teens. Yes. Yeah, man, I'm doing good. A little tired this morning, yeah. so maybe a little slower today. We just got back from our uh, Winterfest retreat, yeah. so out in Gallenberg, Tennessee for the weekend, and uh, it was a good time, but good, good. long, full weekend. Yeah, I bet. Rob, how are you? I am great. I'm, it's good. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> it was the, you know, there was a, it was a good Sunday, and I... Is I really enjoyed preaching this sermon, but m- there were aspects of it that were so unique to different things, ways that I preached before that I probably mm-hmm. prayed more leading up <laughs> going into to this one. sermon than for it. And I, I felt like when I when I walked off the stage on Sunday, I was like, I was hyped up. Nice. <laughs> you so can tell, that, listen, just listening to the is, end of the uh, message, you were getting hyped. That's carried over some. So I that's still awesome. have a, a little bit of that Sunday hype that's still Sunday coursing <laughs> through my veins. <laughs> like so I'm it. feeling good. That's awesome. I like it. Very good. That's awesome. Yeah, so all this month we're in this series, as I mentioned, More Power series on the book of Ephesians, or letter letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, so, Paul, you want get to us, get us going? Yeah, so... Um, you know, we're obviously every time we move through a series, um, you know, and I think certainly the way you have been preaching this series, you've been moving forward in a, in a logical progression. So uh, maybe if there's somebody tuning in today, obviously, since we're in week three of a four week series, if somebody missed one and two, first thing we'd suggest is go back and listen to week one mm-hmm. and two of this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if somebody's just jumping into this episode, how would you recap where we've been so far? And just give us, for everybody who has already listened, give us a, a reminder about why this conversation that we've been having surrounding the things that Paul wrote uh, to this church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, why this matters to us today. Well, you know, we, we live in this world in which, at least from our perspective being in the church, we we tend to hear commentary about the church that... I mean, for the last how many years has been negative, hmm. you know, like you just hear about the way that what the church isn't doing or what the church did and did wrong. And, and that from a being yeah. being a church leader can can get discouraging and it can kind of be, hmm. well, how how do we shift that narrative? Like, how do how can we change that? And and then when you read through Ephesians, you kind of get this. Well, um I got this sense of that maybe that that is not a problem that is unique to us. You know that there is that in their world in in the first century, even as the church was so young in, in getting started, that there was a, a similar type of uh, confusion about the church, or mm-hmm. some and maybe in a good way a curiosity, mm-hmm. uh, but then also, you know, like for for Jews kind of moving into this. They, there was problems with their fellow Jews, kind of wondering, like, well, are you leaving us? Or are you yeah. doing these new things? You're not following the law strictly. You're associating with all those Gentiles. Uh, and so what, what is it that, that they could do? Or they, they needed to hear in that situation 
for encouragement. And, and so kind of, I mean, that's not necessarily the lens, but I think that relates. But then just kind of reading through Ephesians and, and especially grabbing onto a couple of these prayers that the Apostle Paul prays for the church, one in mm-hmm. the middle of chapter one, one, the end of chapter three, where he just pray, like, I just really want you guys to understand this, to grasp it, to get to know God better. And, and knowing God better is kind of going to give you this deeper appreciation for the hope you have, for the inheritance you have, and the power that you have. And that's yeah. that, that third thing was because the, I, that's, that's the chapter one prayer. And then that idea of power comes back up in the chapter three prayer. So just, man, this is a, th- a thread in these two prayers. Maybe this is a thread throughout the entire letter. So that is what we, week one, just looked at this kind of unique idea that Paul does not, in talking about this power that he really wants them to grasp, doesn't come through with a three-point sermon after that. With, right. okay, and here's how you can really grasp this power, do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll, you'll get it. But in a very unique way, he prays for them. You know, so that kind of understanding there is a great power that God wants the church to have and is giving the church and has put in the church. And a, a, the way that we can get that is through prayer. Right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then, and yeah, then last good. week, talking, or you know, two Sundays ago, talked about our position of power in, in God through Christ. And that is uh, that we are adopted. We're adopted as God's children, and that happens through Jesus Christ. And a part of that, really kind of seeing a connection there, is that idea of being clothed in Christ. So that is a way. How, how are we adopted? Usually you're adopted by a parent. Yep. Uh, but we're adopted by the parent, but through the son. And and we get that by Jesus sharing his clothing with us. Mm-hmm. Now, in a lot of other New Testament texts, that's the language that's used is... Yep. You know, that you're clothed in Christ in Ephesians and kind of reading Ephesians in this mirrored way. So like what we see in the beginning connects with the end. Then now we're kind of seeing what what's in chapter two kind of connects with chapter five. Mm-hmm. And then next week we'll see the middle, the middle stuff connecting. Yeah. Uh, but but that then, OK, we're adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the book, we we learn about this armor of God that we've received. Yeah. And yes. so this is a a powerful relationship if you are actually God's son or daughter. Mm-hmm. There, that is so powerful. But then on top of that, God gives you his own armor. And, mm-hmm. and so just kind of... So the first two weeks, we're really trying to like stir that excitement yeah. of... Yeah. There's so much power in the church. There's so much power. And do we really get it? Do we understand it? Do we grasp it? Are we living like I'm a part of the most powerful mm-hmm. organization mm-hmm. or organism in the entire universe? Yeah, I, I think that's really good. You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't all the time. Yeah, yeah no. Rarely. I, I think you're right, and and it 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 explains why I think there is sometimes so much criticism of the church, or why we are criticized for the things we're often criticized mm-hmm. for. You know, when we have this missing element of the power of God truly at work among us, visible and Mm -hmm. evident, things happening through the church because of the church that are different than what might happen 
in the world, you know, so the things we're criticized for are church abuse scandals and other things like that. And, you know, the media is always like a hawk on those things and, and probably should be because those things are, are terrible. Um, where what would be, it would be much better. I mean, if we were criticized for the things we were doing where God's power was moving and people still disagreed with that, there's still mm-hmm. going to be criticism, but we're drawing criticism for, for maybe all the wrong reasons yeah. at times. And so, um, so yeah, I, this idea of Paul wanting to see the power of God at work in the church, I mean, I think it's just, mm-hmm. um, it's good. It's given me a, a way of reframing this letter to the, this church in Ephesus, um, thinking about it anew, afresh, and in, in, in just a really good way. So I appreciate that. So with that backdrop from week one and two, where, uh, where'd you go this week with it? So, so from there, there's two main concepts that I feel like are, are talked about in the letter as far as here's kind of here's what it looks like or here is how this power is put on display. Mm-hmm. And so one we will talk about next week, but the, the other one is this concept of unity. Okay. And so kind of unique, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, I've mentioned each week, the tension in the first century between Jews and Gentiles, especially when they're kind of brought into one church mm. together. Yeah. And that Ephesians deals with that in a different way because in, like in Galatians, there's rebuking of people that are intentionally disrupting that mm-hmm. relationship. Whereas to this letter to the church in Ephesus, it almost feels like it's not con- congratulatory or like, mm. like you, you're doing a good job so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but some of the language does reemphasize what has happened and what is going yeah. on. So almost like you're doing a good job, but there's still some work to do. And, and so that just kind of comes through in chapter one in the introduction. Uh, and then comes back up in chapter two, uh, just kind of reminding them of their equal footing, right? Like, you're, we're all children. Like, we're all children of God. We're all adopted, you know? And then we're all uh, relying on Jesus for peace. And, you know, and, and so then in, in this is God's purpose to bring us all together and be one people in Jesus Christ and so then that is accomplishing that that act of God through Christ is putting his wisdom specifically in chapter 3 it talks about um, on display you know and, and so I think that is a that is a great source of power that if if we are doing that in the worldwide church and then in in some aspect in the local churches uh, man that is that is so in, like insanely powerful to think like that, like a little church, wherever, mm-hmm. could be looked on by the powers and authorities in the spiritual realms, and they could look at that church and say, "Oh yeah, God's wisdom is on display." That mm-hmm. is, that's powerful, mm-hmm. and so that that's kind of what we what we looked at on Sunday. It was that that unity in the church, real unity, is a display of God's power. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. good. Awesome. Yeah, so you, you made a promise uh, in part two of this series that you yeah, were gonna uh, you were gonna explain to us everything about this idea of predestination. <laughs> so so we're gonna get to dig into that in just yeah. a minute, um, which which is good. Um, I think I think there's definitely a lot of debate. In fact, I was listening to a podcast um, 
you know, several weeks ago. And, and for this podcast, the host had brought together these two guests. And of course, you know, one, one guest was on one side of the predestination debate. The other guest was on the other side. So, you know, it's the idea of predestination versus free will. And which, which is it? You know, does God predestine us for our eternal destination in a sense? Um, and or, or do we have free will? We're choosing, we're making the choice. And so one of the guests who held to the doctrine of, you know, I think it's, it's good to put it this way, the doctrine of universal predestination. So God has already made the choice about everyone who will ever live, where they're going to spend eternity, and they have no say in the matter. Uh, it, it's interesting that actually as his main defense, he used this text from Ephesians 1, and I can uh, let's see, I can read this real quick if I can find it. So he says, you know, this is verse 11. He says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Okay, so we'll just leave it at that. So this idea of being chosen and predestined. So there are the chosen, and there are the predestined, and there, the, there are the unchosen. You know, it's definitely the way this guy was using uh-huh. this idea. And so you said on Sunday... Uh, that if we read this text in particular and we jump directly to God predestining people for heaven and hell, then we're just plain reading the text wrong. So, so then what is the Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians 1 and how will, how will reading this text maybe correctly and in context actually give us, because I think it does, it gives us a richer understanding of God's plan and sovereignty. So can you talk that out with us just a little right, bit? Right, right. So what, what, is, what is the main idea you know, and that, uh, and that is the unity piece. And then, if 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 you can get that, if you can get like what God is doing, and and He even says in some of the writing, like when later on when He talks about the mystery, He talks about the mystery. And he says of which I've already kind of spoken a little bit about. Yeah. And so you can see that uh, this is not something that was meant to be in isolation. It wasn't like, I'm going to write, Paul's not like writing this letter, I'm going to write these eight verses. Right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to let people draw all kinds of like deep the- yes. theological conclusions from these, and then I'm going to just leave that and not mention anything about it again. Right? Like, But yeah. that it's a progression and that it's a story and that it's a, a point that uh, this is a church that he loves dearly, right? When he leaves Ephesus, the elders are weeping because they're never going to see him again, right? Right. So yes. there's a there's a very deep connection here. Um, uh, his his protege, right? Timothy, he sends back to Eph- like it's like there mm-hmm. he he is vested in this church that it is uh, a love of his, and and so he's wanting them to understand like. This is what, this is who you are, yeah. right? That you've been adopted in Christ, and and so that this language, I think, then if if we can kind of see that in chapter one, in chapter two, in chapter three, it's all kind of coming to the same point of this. And he says more than one time in that this is the purpose, this is the intent, this is the reason, is to make two people into one is to to make I, I think is in chapter 2 where it says in Christ to create a new humanity yeah, right right so even the way that we view human beings would no longer be Jew or, or Gentile but just we we have this oneness in Christ and so it's just 
if, if that is all of the, if you read chapters one through three and say, okay, <clears throat> what's the main point? If I could just extract one thing and say, what's the main point of this? Mm-hmm. Then it would, it would have to be the unity that we have in Christ, that Jews and Gentiles were once separate and now they have the potential, they have the availability to be one in Christ. Yeah. So then you'll go back to chapter one and you see those words like chosen, before the creation of the world, predestined, then those are all things that just emphasize that point. Not only can we all be one in Christ, but this is not just a new plan that God concocted. Like, okay, well, that didn't work out and that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. How can I fix this? How can I make this right? Oh, I know. I'll send Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and, and then through Jesus, he can patch everything up. Uh, but no, it's like the, the power in it is that this was God's plan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. This was what was predestined. This is what was chosen, is that God would create, and, and he knew that in creation, he knew that there would be a people that he would fall in love with. And they, I, mean, I mean, maybe he didn't know exactly who, I don't know. I'm not, all right. But he calls Abram and he says, yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. Right? And then, like we talked about it, Hebrews 11 and, and this idea of like, well, what did, they, what did they really get? What did they really know? So it's like, Abram, he's got this faith and he's got this hope for a city whose architect and builder is God. Hmm. The, did he realize the depth of what was going to happen mm. through his seed right. and what it meant for them? And you get this sense as you look through the progression of Israel and how they mature, uh, I'll use that word loosely, as a nation, as they grow up as a nation, right? Mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is that there is a lot of kind of like, we are the children of God. We're the firstborn son of God. That's what Moses tells right. the Pharaoh. Yes. Uh, and, and so there's like an arrogance and an entitlement that comes with that, a, a lot of different steps along the way. You know, it's like, we can do this. We can kind of be what we want to be or to, because we're God's people. Like, it's okay if we mess up because we're God. And you see that if somebody in our world grows up with a really rich and powerful father, sometimes, a lot of times that leads to an entitled life. Sure. And they feel like, yeah, it's okay if I get caught and go to jail, my dad will bail me out. And so we can see that happen. Uh, I don't, and with that, and even in all of our messing up, we're still, we know the promise. We're still going to be a blessing to the whole world. And, and, and so I think there's a lack of realization, and Paul emphasizes that. He says, this is a mystery that has been hidden until now. Uh, a, a mystery. And then he explains what that mystery is, is that it's the two different people becoming one. So you kind of look at all that. So, so that's the biggest, I think the biggest overarching point is, what is the context? The context is argument upon argument upon argument. There's three or four different sections where he's talking about this is what's going on. This is the unity we have in Christ. And so the the emphasis of chapter one is really, and this was God's plan the whole time. And that even gets yeah. alluded to again with that idea of mystery, that this was hidden to people in the past, but it's just now to the apostles and prophets being mm-hmm. revealed. Yes. That as we look back in scripture, even as we look back, we would look back and be blind to some of these scriptures that talk about being light to the Gentiles. And now we can look back and say, oh, that's what it, like now that Christ has come, now we get it. Now it makes sense to us. 
That's yeah. that's a big part one. Maybe a a slightly smaller, but I think still a, a decent point, uh, which actually was one of the things that we've talked about in this podcast, uh, but drew me to the book, the, the letter here, is the language, the plural language. Mm, right. There's yeah. not a single yeah. verse in so Ephesians. Us and we and it's all us, we. Yeah. It's yeah. all us, we. And if it's you, it's a you, it's a plural. It's definitely in that context, yeah. a plural you. So there's never mm-hmm. a time where there's any indication of an individual being predestined. But like, this is us. We were, we were predestined for this. So that that definitely fits that yes. narrative of uh, talking about bringing two people together. This was the predestination, yes. not a, not necessary salvific. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely, still very much a conversation about predestination and sovereignty and a plan, and even the idea of authority and mm-hmm. God doing something. God being the one that's working and doing something. The question is not, did God have a plan? The question is, what plan are we talking about when we actually get to the conclusion of uh-huh. Paul's, uh-huh. Paul's message? Is, right. that, is that fair? I mean, you know, I think your point about this is not individual, so it's in him we were also chosen. Is the we the church in that? Um, is the we the people that would come together to make the body? I mean, I think that's... That sounds like what it is, right? Yeah, and, and that's that's that is a little tougher, you know, like because when Paul writes, there there's even a time where he says, like, we were we who were first to put our hope, yes, and then you, and I, I struggle with that, you know, is he talking about the Jews? Because he'll say that other other yeah. places. I mentioned that on Sunday, first the Jews, then the Gentiles, or is he talking about like we, like the apostles and prophets, so, like which he's a part of. You know, just in general, the people that got it first, and that the Ephesians would have been in a wave of, yes. you know, Second a mission trip, Christians. yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's not specific clarity there, um, but I think it's I think the the we is just the inclusive of like the the Jews and the Gentiles. So yeah, that that ultimately then becomes the church, but I, I'm not even sure if in this context it's it would be that. That defined, except that's that is mm-hmm. that is naturally what is anyone who becomes one in Christ is then the, in the church. Yeah, right. It's just um, that's good. And then you know, ten verse ten acting maybe is a bit of a foreshadowing of where he's going. He comes back around to it, talking about the the, the unity. But you know, I think I think all this idea of um, you know this is the plan that he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So mm-hmm. coming to fulfillment, bringing to unity all things in heaven on heaven and on earth. And you're talking on Sunday morning. This piece really kind of hit me to bring all these things together in on heaven and on earth under Christ. Mm-hmm. So again, very much Christ is sovereign language. Mm-hmm. Jesus as King. This is the new humanity in a sense. Then right. So. Yeah. A people united under Christ. So, yeah, I just what a what a rich, full theological picture that Paul is painting. That, as you say, then isn't just about me, the individual, being predestined for heaven or hell, but this new humanity being predestined to come together under Christ, mm-hmm. um, and that being God's plan all along. Yeah, and that verse, and when times reach their fulfillment. That would 
that would then be read not as a future that we're waiting for, but that that that's speaking about that that, that happened in Christ. Yeah, is, that, is that Matthew twenty-eight? Jesus saying, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Therefore, now go into this mission. This is maybe Paul's spin off of that to some degree. I mean, that's definitely uh, one verse that we could connect mm-hmm. to that. But and, you know, there's other there's other things like in Romans, Paul, Paul talks about you know, and at just the right time, yes. you know, there, that Christ came and and died for us and. And so that's that is the view. There is that Christ coming when it, you know, and, and then you look back at the prophecies of Daniel and some of those things is like yeah. there, God had this plan before the creation of the world, right? He's revealing it to prophets along the way. Like there is going to come a time. There's going to be this kind of situation that we see now, especially looking back in hindsight, like. Man, could Jesus have come at any other time mm-hmm. and it worked out? Like obviously God's plan is so perfect, so precise, and and so that it reached this. And so what what so we can even I, I believe we can even look at chapter one and see not only like what was predestined also has then been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're not waiting for a time that Jews and Gentiles can come together and be one in Christ. Yeah. Uh like I, that's that time. happened, yes. And it's ha- you're right. And, mm-hmm. and we now and now that is we we might we don't use those labels in mm. today's society. Uh, those aren't the walls that we put up um, and the things that divide us. But there's a enough other ones that we've created since then yeah. that that I think this can be applied to. You know? Yeah, I, cool. I I love the picture you're painting with this because the accusation often made to those people who find themselves in the free will camp as it relates to personal choice in response to God are often accused as being those who don't leave room for the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. But that's not at all what's happening here. In fact, there's this very deep theological understanding of the sovereignty of God and a purpose and a plan set into, you know, movement, motion before the foundations of the earth. We finding ourselves in that as the church but putting it within the right context and not looking at just individual, because we do that in our society. We want to jump to the individual, mm-hmm. seeing the church as a body. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. beautiful, again, I just love, I think, the robust nature of this theological understanding of the sovereignty of God still very much yeah. leading in this and allowing for the authority of King Jesus, but not necessarily having to take it to that Put the personal slant on it. So this is this is good, it, and it should be like that. That is that is my hope is that this reading of the text and this understanding of it would be empowering. Because again, like then yes. as a church, and this is this is just one part of it. But then as a church, sometimes we sit in a seat in which everything is in 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 anticipation, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Like we kind of get like, oh, we're like, we put our heads down and we're weak and we're lowly and like, we just got to make it through this world and then we'll get to heaven, right? (laughs) And like, then we can experience our riches and our Mm -hmm. inheritance and, and that's, it's like, we just have to survive this. We just have to get through this. But it's like, uh, all right, not disagreeing with that, like totally, but this is God's, we are God's people on earth. And so why, like, why do we have our heads down? Why are we trying to get through something? Like, if God has left you on earth, 
then he can work through you. And if he can work through you, and he's got a power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be working through you, then like why? Like we can do a lot. There's a lot we can do. And mm. and this is what, like it's not something that we're necessarily waiting for something to happen. So much has already happened, and that's yes. who we are. Like, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. So I mean, you've already talked a lot about this focus on unity. I want to dial into that a little bit more um, that you talked about yesterday in the message. Because you said that when that when we as a church ignore the unity that God has given us of a church, we rob the church of the visible power of God at work in us. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a bold statement about the importance of yeah. unity, that unity somehow is showing this visible power of God. So I want to flesh that out a little bit more and hear kind of what you mean by that. Another thing you said that I thought was that was interesting that you said that Paul is saying is that uh, our unity as the church, it's not just a declaration to the world, but it is also a declaration to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by that? Why is unity so important? Why is this such an important thing that's showing the power of God? And how is this connecting with the spiritual rulers and authorities? Yeah. Um, there's so I, I, I love paradox in scripture and the tension and trying to like meet those two things and we see it throughout Jesus says if you like if you want to be first you have to be last if you yeah. want to have life you have to die and and so it's like well that that doesn't make sense like i but there's so much of god's truth that he wants to share with us in that way and and i don't i don't know i don't know exactly why because i'm not god um, yeah. but i do like it you know or yeah. You know, to the Apostle Paul, we touched on this, I think, last week, you know, that my strength will be mm. dis- uh, displayed through your weakness, you know, and like, um, and so it's kind of, I, how do we kind of accept those tensions? I was talking to somebody on Sunday about some of it. One that I think is easy to talk about is uh, then we, these opposites, like, well, what, you know, we've got God and God becomes man. Now, there are a lot of people, and we see this even in Scripture, that that is why they can't accept Christianity, because they can't accept that God became man or that a right. man was God. Yep. Like that is, that, those things are so diametrically opposed that they cannot reconcile that those both things could be, both be true. This is why we have uh, groups of Christians that some say, um, you know, that, that it's God's sovereignty, and others people say that it's uh, the will of man. Right. You know, that we that, that we have free will. Those can't exist at the same time. And, yeah. And so there's right. this belief, like we have to be against each other because those yeah. things can't coexist. But why not? Like why can't we have a God who is totally sovereign, and people who have uh, free will? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. so, so. So to the people that want to jump in a camp, they're looking at it as like. I can't reconcile these two things that are different. Mm. I can't rec- like you know. So some things, I don't know why we do because they don't make sense. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man? I don't know, but it seems like there's no way around it. Mm. And and so even though it seems to be they seem to be opposites, I believe them to be true. Yeah. And so then there's a lot of 
Christianity that is like that, and that drives some people away, it drives some people nuts, and then sometimes people don't just don't think about it, maybe, <laughs> and accept it, um, but that's how it is. And so then I think that this, is, this then becomes an extension of that, hmm. is that, especially you know, from that, that Jewish standpoint, there's just years and years and years of like, we are the people of God, mm. and the Gentiles are our opposites, mm -hmm. where we are clean, and we are holy, and we are, you know, sacred, and we know, like, and we have our covenants, and we have our laws, and we are distinct. They are dirty, and they are savage, and they have no law, and they have no history, and they have yeah. no respect, and they have, like, there's, you know, if we are holy, if we are separate from something, it's from them. Yeah. And so the thought of being joined with them to be one people, right. that yeah. becomes an absurdity almost. You know, like that's that's ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, even to the point where there's hatred and it, it, there's just so many layers that I don't even think I can understand because I didn't, yeah. I didn't yeah. grow up in that. And, and haven't experienced that. I just can maybe hit the tip of the iceberg. But that, so that is, I think, the strength in unity in, in maybe a philosophical or theoretical way. Mm -hmm. Then there's the reality of it, and, and we see it. You know, there's, there's just a power in when we see people that ought to be opposed to one another, or you know, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. and we see them come together and actually mm -hmm. agree on something. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah, it's surprising yeah. to us. Sometimes it happens, like in the po political world. There's people that are, or I just saw a thing, and it was like um, on YouTube. It was um, Bill Maher and Jordan Peterson. Okay. And they had like a really, so like people that would put on op opposite spectrums yes. of mm -hmm. liberal and conservative, um, but they came together. It was like a six minute conversation that in which they were very cordial with one another and actually were agreeing on like people being oversensitive. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was an interesting thing. And a, a lot of the YouTube comments where people are like, it's just, like we're secondary to what they said, it's nice to, <laughs> to see, see two, two people that, like, we yeah. would expect to be on TV yes. yelling at each other, yeah. tearing yeah. each other's head off. That they yeah. just had a kind of, and they found some point of agreement. So I think there's a real, a real way in mm -hmm. which that comes together. Uh, the Super Bowl commercial that he gets us one, just like a little scene. It's like a little white kid and a little black kid that can both at least walk. And they see each other and they're excited and they run to each other, they embrace. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the idea of like recapturing that spirit of what it's to, like to be mm -hmm. a child. And Jesus says, like, unless you become like one of these little children, you know, kind of thing. And there, it's how, how can you not watch that? And there's something that stirs up in you. It's always cute, kids are cute. And if it was two Asian babies that were hugging or two Latino babies or just whatever, like, but when we see, when we see that happen, and like there's l the little lines that are drawn throughout society, and we see people break down those walls, break down, the, you know, overcome those barriers, hmm. then yeah. that we get that that's special. So yeah. I think there's like a, a philosophical way that unity makes a difference, and then it's just like 
a built-in way where we get what? it, we see it. And I see that throughout culture. That, that totally makes sense. I think that is a lot of our reaction. Then I would just ask, what's different about that in the church that does shine a light on the power of God right. uniquely? That is the problem, I think. <laughs> because, you know, we talk about the church in the United States, and people will comment, like, that's the most segregated couple of hours in our country, right? It's because we have created... Uh, a world in which, like, uh, we've got the Asian church over here, you know, we've got the Spanish-speaking church over here, we've got the the black church and the white church, and mm-hmm. uh, and so that is when that is wh- that is one of the reasons when people look at the church in America, in the United States of America, it mm-hmm. they don't see a powerful church. Yeah. So so so. So that would be the opposite way, right? So if we mm-hmm. had that, mm-hmm. and when if you saw that, and if you walked into a place, and some people, like I know uh, Jim, our Connections Minister, uh, when he talks about some of his church experience in the 70s, he talks about the power of that, seeing uh, people mm-hmm. who are black and white in the same church and actually loving each other, like getting along and being friends and hugging each other, and that he was highly suspicious of that at first, as he kind mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. stayed on the outskirts and watched people, and he he was convinced it was just a show, um, and then he became a part of it and saw that there was some legitimacy to it. it wasn't perfect, um, but but when we so yeah, there's there's a lot of room for us to grow, and and I would have the confidence is when when those things do spring up, there are churches that are multi ethnic, multicultural. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, not every community is going to be able to support that because mm-hmm. some communities are just right. highly, you know, populated by one ethnicity or one culture. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, if there was to be a church in that specific community, uh, it'd be hard pressed for them to be multi-ethnic. So, I'm not trying to say all the churches need to be this way, but when you see that happen and you see it happen genuinely, uh, there that does give witness. Now, to, I, you know, not to avoid the question, um, so I think that that does happen then in the church because it's not just about ethnicity, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. the fact is, like, we all, like the three of us even, there's, there's so many ways, if we just wanted to start listing the ways that we're different, mm-hmm. right? There's things, even theologically, that we're going to come down in different places. Uh, there's ways that we were raised different. Like, so, I mean, that could be like we have different words that we say. We have different manners, different mannerisms, different likes and dislikes. Uh, but all of those things uh, we can overcome and yeah. we, we pursue because we have a common head that is Christ. And then th- through that, he gives us a common mission. And that, I, you know, that's where the, the church really returning to the mission and the commission of yes. being disciples and making disciples is so utterly important for our unity is because a, a church that doesn't have anything to do, you know, versus people that are mm-hmm. working together towards something, that makes a huge difference. Um, and that, that also goes towards the unity and the display of unity piece. But uh, yeah, so that was probably a a really bad answer, like not (laughs) (laughs) to to the part one of the question. Um, But I think that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem is maybe there's 
there's not a great answer. Mm. Is that we can't say, oh, look, well, I, um, yeah, because look, look at all the unity we display and look at the impact that it has on our community. And that is prob part of the problem is we don't display enough unity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder as we kind of move into this question, which, which we always wrap the podcast up with, but I think actually deserves some time this morning um, of how we can practice this to be faithful to Jesus. Mm. Um, I wonder if the way that this is, because you, you asked Ben, how, how is this different from what happens in the world? You know, as, as I look around in the world, the movements toward unity that are not founded and rooted in Christ seem to be forced and, and they don't last very long. And they often end somewhat violently when everybody else doesn't agree with them and do the one, we all told you to be united and you're not doing it with us, so we're going to kill you, shoot you, burn your house down. You know, I mean, those, those kind of things. And we see this, you know, maybe in in maybe some extreme uh, settings, you might see that in, you know, uh, communist China, you all need to do things the way that, um, that we tell you as a government to do them. And if you don't all fall in line and become one for the sake of this nation, then we're just going to get rid of you and exile you and put you in a work camp, you know. And so there's this forced impact where this is very different. In fact, you talked about on Sunday morning that the key to the kind of unity that Jesus is talking about is actually this practice of mutual submission that, that and, and even the Apostle Paul talks about that in some places I think that we would be, that actually that we are uncomfortable about. I mean, he even talks about masters and slaves and we're like, hold on here. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you have come out, Apostle Paul, and right here in this moment, come out against slavery and plainly said, this is an important practice, I'm not even going to talk about it here, but he talks about even in that setting, he talks about the practice of mutual submission. So why, why is mutual submission the thing that we ought to practice to be faithful to Jesus in this? And also then maybe the on-ramp to unity, mm -hmm. the kind of unity that, that sets us apart as a church. Right. Um, and that's not, I guess, um, just the, the second not to, to neglect the second part of Ben's other question about this, the authorities and the spiritual places. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, I just don't know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, right? Like, I, I mean, the, there's, I mean, we get spiritual warfare in yeah. a sense, but there, um, I, I, so I don't know if if those people reading that, you know, or the Apostle Paul did, he he probably did have a deeper sense, obviously, of what he was writing. Um, I think for us, just it makes like in the same way that saying God predestined this from he, he had this in his mind from the beginning before creation of the world. Yeah, you know, like like it, it makes it bigger that way. But then also to know like this is not just a thing that is impacting your locality, but it's bigger than that. Yeah. He, he does that in in his writing to the Corinthians, and he talks about head coverings. And he like talks about the impact that makes on the angels, you know, right. which is maybe the same kind of thing as like, oh wait, so there's other beings in existence that are paying attention to what's happening on Earth, and are and it matters to them, right? And so, uh, so I think in that way, the church unity matters. Now, the the submitting to one another, also, that is not. 
to be taken out of context because the context in Ephesians and the example of what it looks like for one individual or entity to submit to another is dying. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of played out in the first husbands and wives, and it's, you know, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, you know. And, and so there's just such a desire um, for the church to be pure and beautiful and, and right in the eyes of God that, that Jesus lays down his life to make that happen. And so that is the how do we submit to one another that is that is what we're talking about you know so yeah. how, because because that is tough like how do we do that like how how do we become one if there's so many differences and i have so many personal preferences yeah like in right cuz that that's probably the biggest thing now is like well what does that mean what does that mean if i'm going to uh, so there's the, like doing church together and there's the way that we like to do church and do I need to, am I, am I going to, am I willing to lose some of that? The yeah. ways, the ways that yeah. I like things in order to have a deeper sense of unity with people? That means I need to die to myself in that way. Yes. Um, and then there's a second level of actually being connected to each other outside of a Sunday morning, you know, uh, event. And so if I'm going to make that stride, then am I willing to die to myself in all those other ways? Yeah. You know, so that means like um, not doing all the things that I want to do, <laughs> but seeing other people as more important than myself and what do they need in their life? And, you know, not even looking at my needs, but even like, like what... Are there things in my life that are frivolous and excessive that I really don't need? You know, trusting that God's going to take care of my needs, but that in, in submitting to someone else, I really come to this place where what what is in their life is more important than what's in my life. That's hard. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to say, like, oh, this is easy. Yeah. You know? no, I think it's a really good point, especially when you think about, uh, I think you kind of, set up two distinguishing areas distinguishing areas one is you know what what it looks like what we call church sometimes when we come together as a group mm-hmm. as, as funny just even last week talking with a friend of mine who's a church consultant who said you know if I were to look at the church as an outsider what I think I would probably think about church or define as church is a group of people who yes believe in Jesus but you know by and large a local church is a group of people who, who believe in Jesus and share the same preferences about what the Sunday morning experience ought to look like. You know, when we're actually given probably very little direction. I mean, some direction, but when you look at the entirety of the New Testament, the amount of time that is spoken about Sunday mm-hmm. morning oh, yeah. and what the gatherings ought to look like is actually pretty small. Um, you know, so he said, if I was on the outside looking in and I had a kind of a skeptical, cynical view of the church, I would say, well, yeah, you guys believe in Jesus. But what brings you together is not that you believe in Jesus or certainly not just that you believe in Jesus or what brings you together with one group and not another group is just your set of likes and don'ts and dislikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that how far does our unity with other believers extend not beyond our 
our set of preferences and likes and dislikes Often. even. Yeah. So, Too you know, that, that's kind of a skeptical and a cynical view, but it, it is the kind of thing that ought to make us take a step back and ask some, some deeper questions. Now, I know, like you said, often, so don't want to trivialize that. Sometimes there are deep doctrinal divides and even theological questions that separate us from somebody who might say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and maybe very, very much does believe in Jesus. Um, but then you also talked about um, just now what happens outside of here. Mm-hmm. Because what happens you know, in our buildings, for the most part, takes up the space of an hour, two hours, three hours, maybe four hours in some circumstances some people might spend in the building. So the rest of our time spent outside of the building. Um, what does, because the Apostle Paul talks about this in several different areas. Uh, he talks about it in marriage, he talks about it in family, he talks about it slaves and masters, um, maybe another one or two that I'm forgetting about. Give us, give us some highlights there, that, and then maybe draw some practical implications to just the way we live our lives mm-hmm. um, in today's world, since some of these things, I think, have definite parallels, and, and others may not as much. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, what I mentioned on Sunday was that the, the only way we, you can really make a relationship work is if if you die to yourself, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and, and for the sake of the relationship. Like, otherwise, I think those, those things are all going to just fizzle and fade. There might be, um, you know, relationships that carry on for a specific moment, time, you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. something. Uh, and so there's a mutual agreement, but there's not necessarily a mutual submission, you know, like you're, gotcha. yes. uh, and so the, yes. the, the things that are going to be, that's a good distinguisher, by the way, this mutual agreement versus mutual submission. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good distinguisher. Um, you know, so something like a marriage or child parent relationship, I mean, like I, I'm always surprised. I mean, my, my kids are still fairly young, but like when you get and you see like parent relationships, parent-child relationships, and it's like, they don't talk to each other. And that's just crazy to me. Like, I can't imagine, like, going several years without talking to my children, you know? And like, why? Like, because there's some kind of disagreement. You know, like, well, there's not submission there. Like, you know, and and so the, I think that, how, how, can, how can you make it work? Any relationship that you see that is a good, father son a good mother daughter a good husband wife you know and, and if we if we kind of update the language to be like um, boss and employee kind of yeah. thing like if it's long lasting it's there's there's got to be that that kind of mutual submission mm-hmm. um, it has to exist or else or else it's unhealthy or not good or I don't know so so I think that's a that's a couple ways. It's a place to practice, you know, because if you can't submit to your wife, if you can't submit to your children in a, in the right ways, you know, then 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 you're not. Then it's going to be a lot harder to submit to some person that is so different from you. But I think that's the reminder. It's like, well, even though that person ha- like might look like you, and you're training them up in the way they should go, like that is where the tension is, right? That's the tension that happens between specifically fathers and sons and mothers and daughters is you're not like me. Maybe you're too much like me and sometimes there's tension there, but you, you, this is the way we should do this. And then the son's like, uh, no, I don't think that, I think we should do it this way. You know, and you're like, no, 
<laughs> you're supposed to listen to me. There's tension there, um, and so so we can. How can that relationship go? So that's practice. We can practice in those places. Yeah. And but again, like if you can't make it happen there, it's going to be harder to make it happen other places. So make sure it happens there. And that is another. That is that is church, right? Our households. Yeah. Are that's the microcosm of what church is. So it's not just oh, when people see the Sunday gathered church, or when they see the you know the church in a certain location, it is when they when they look into your household, they're seeing church, right? That if you're believers, then you're church. Like you are the church. It doesn't matter. Like, and I, I think we so that's where the definition part gets lost. Like wherever we go. We're a church. If you, if the, the, we're church right now. Like if we go out to eat, we're church. So any display of unity we put on is that's church. Any fighting and backbiting we do, that's also church. It's just what kind of message are we showing the world? So hopefully the world is looking at our working relationships. They're looking at our parenting relationships and our child relationships, and they're looking at our marriages. And when they see those things, they see an immense amount of unity. And they see God's power on display. Um, so there, but in the middle of that, Paul also says, "But what I'm talking about is Christ and the, the church." So I think you can also then apply that to, well, who who are my parents in the church? Who are my children in the church? You know, and so it says, "Fathers, don't exasperate your children." Well, we could say, "Elders, shepherds, ministers, don't exasperate the congregation." Right? And we've seen that. You've seen church leaders who exasperate yep, their people. Definitely. And, you know, it's, it, it's echoed in the book of Hebrews. People, obey your leaders, right? Submit to your leaders. And that, yeah. you know, and we've all been, and we've seen that in churches where, like, I don't care who you are. I don't care. Like, I'm doing my own thing. And then we have church splits and divisions. And, that, and that's it. There's nobody that could look out from the outside and see churches that are splitting over the color of the carpet and say, I'm sure that God is happy with that, right? Um, so then we, and that kind of comes back to the robbing God's power. So God has set this thing up. So I'm going to show the world how wise I am. By you're going to all your differences can be overcome by the power of Jesus's blood, and then we just come up with the most petty things. You yes. know, I don't, I don't, I don't like like you only sing in two part harmony and not four part harmony. So I'm going to a different church. You know, <laughs> yes. You know, uh, so I don't know. Yep, so, so the kind of mutual submission that we are to practice when we're all together is the kind of mutual submission that we practice when we're scattered. So the gathered people practice mutual submission. The scattered people practice a mutual submission. So this is true mm -hmm. at every level. I, I think our belief that somehow, and this is just speaks to the incongruency of our lives as believers sometimes, we're going to go out in the business world and we're going to do things the way that everybody else does business because otherwise we can't get ahead or we can't stay with mm -hmm. everyone else. And so we're not going to practice the things of Jesus out there. And then we expect that somehow we're going to be able to flip a switch and we're going to practice those things in here. What happens is, right, we see the self-seeking behavior that is practiced in the world be brought into the church. Mm -hmm. But what we're supposed to see is the self-sacrificial behavior that's brought here or that's practiced here, brought out into the world. Yeah, I know that's difficult at a practical level, but if Paul is yeah. willing to go all the way to slaves and masters in his society, yeah, he meant for this to pervade every facet of society where Jesus-following people go. Mm -hmm. You know, I really like this. I think one of the things I 
like about this talk of the um, this idea of mutual submission within unity and seeking unity is simply that I think a lot of times we conflate unity with uniformity. We think that mm-hmm. I'll be united. It's what you're talking about, of like mm-hmm. in the maybe the cynical view of how some outsiders may look at the church is that we're united in the church with people who all worship the same way as me and act the same way as I do and and it's but sometimes it can be uniformity. It's like, yeah, as long as we're all the same, then I want to be united with you. Mm-hmm. But when you're gonna oh, you're gonna stay different. You're gonna keep believing that different thing. You're going to keep acting differently than me. You're not going to unify and become like me. We're not going to become uniform in this unity. I think that's when we really can have a problem with mm-hmm. unity. So this idea of mutual submission says, no, 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 like, it's not about us becoming the exact same. We're going to stay different. We're going to unite through that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to submit to you. You're going to submit to me. And we're going to be united through those differences. Not We're not going to get rid of those differences in order to be united. Um, and so to me, I find that really helpful language around that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think a, maybe a good challenge would be to just take stock of, in your mind, like who is the person that makes you the most nervous? Like what's a conversation that you are fearful to have? Like who's a person that you don't really want to? Like if you're just, eat, no, even outside of the church, you're just in public. Like who's somebody that if you, they, if you saw them, you'd like put your head down, <laughs> you know, like that you would, uh, because that means you've got, there's a wall up mm-hmm. in your life someplace, that there's something, there's some barrier that you're saying, I shouldn't be connected to that person, right? I, I, I shouldn't mm-hmm. even like, because <clears throat> your, your instinctual reaction is saying like, not only should I, I shouldn't be connected to you, but I shouldn't even really have contact with you. Like I shouldn't even connect with you. Like I don't even want, I don't even want to risk making eye contact with you, kind of thing, and so that could be out in the world. That could be within the church, and then force yourself to approach that person, like and yeah. and and find a conversation. Because here's the thing about the church, is whatever you can come up with, whatever difference you can identify, they have come to a church that professes Christ as Lord. And so we automatically have an icebreaker. <laughs> what it's crazy how little people in the church building talk about Jesus, mm. right? Like we learn about Jesus from teachers and from preachers and all of that. But how many of the side conversations we're looking for? Like all the other places we can connect. Hey, did you see the ball game last night? Yeah, you want to like? Did you see this movie? Did you see that? Did you go here? Did you know that these people are coming to Atlanta? Like all this other conversation. Mm-hmm. How many times are people talking about like, oh man? Well, I was just reading the Gospels. Did you know Jesus said this to these people? Or like, man, I, like just talking about faith. It just that is what unites us. But it's almost like we want to find all the other things, and maybe that's like the worldly influence again. Yeah. Um, but that that's that's a starting point. Is so mm-hmm. within the that's church, good. within the church gathering. It's a good challenge. Who who yeah. is that person, and kind of force yourself to approach them. And if you don't know what to talk about, start coming up with just some questions about God. Some yeah. Some things that's that good. you know like. Uh, what can I pray for you about? Just anything like that, and and start to break down those 
barriers. And then what people find is that some of the people that we fear the most, that maybe we feel like would be so much different, more different than we are, we actually have quite a bit in common with. Mm -hmm. um, and that can happen mm. both ways, you know, like, um, well, I won't get into it. There's no time. But, um, yeah. It, it, That's great. We can judge people whether we think... Um, in in like in like a, a high way or a low way, I guess I'll yeah. just say that. Mm. Yep. I think that's a really good challenge for this week. So find that person that maybe you've put up a put up a little bit of a wall and in in relationship and seek to build a bridge, maybe we could say, mm -hmm. to start some conversation, to seek that person out and uh, and approach that with some unity this week. So mm -hmm. um, it's a great, great challenge for us this week. Hope you take that to heart and practice that. Thank you, Rob, for sharing these thoughts with us today and Paul for um, helping us in this conversation. And uh, we would invite you to join us next week. We're going to continue this series. We're going to conclude this series in the final part of More Power, finishing up in the book of Ephesians. So we hope you all will join us again next week for that conversation. Until next time, God bless.